Suicide in the veterinary profession is something that unfortunately we've got to talk about again. This week we have a special guest, the president of Not One More Vet, to tell us what we need to know and how we can help. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, the tough topic of suicide is on our radar. Within the past week, we've lost several colleagues. It seems like we keep having this conversation over and over again, but it's one that we have to keep repeating until we can do something about it. This week, we have a very special guest who is going to talk to us, the Viewfinder family, about what we can do to help our colleagues or ourselves. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And there was really no other topic for this week. Um, We are very grateful to be joined with the current president of Not One More Vet, Dr. Carrie Journey. Dr. Journey's background is amazing, of course. She graduated from the University of Georgia. We got Georgia in the house today. Um, And she's actually uh, into neurology. That That is her jam. But outside of that, we know she has become incredibly passionate and incredibly dedicated to veterinary wellness and um she is uh she's completed her suicide and crisis intervention training she's a certified compassion fatigue professional and she is current president as i said of not one more vet and so today dr carrie journey is here to talk to us about this impressing important heartbreaking topic so dr journey thank you so much for being here with us today and making the time for us well, thanks so much, Becky and Dr. Ernie Ward. Thank you both for having me. I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and Carrie, again, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast numerous times over the past four years, and it breaks our hearts to have to keep talking about it. But I, I'd like to start the conversation off today by sort of talking to us about the current state of of suicide in the United States. I mean, we hear about it in the news. It seems like there's been an increase maybe related to pandemic pressures, but where, what, what does it look like nationally, not just in the veterinary profession, but, but what's going on out there? So, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right that the pandemic has unfortunately complicated, which was what was already a complicated situation, you know, over the last, mm-hmm. I've been working on the issue of veterinary suicide. And, and of course that speaks to the broader issue of suicide for five years. And we were seeing unfortunate trends in a rising suicide rate, um, you know, nationally and internationally. Um, The pandemic has made mental health more complicated for a lot of reasons. There are some great studies out there. The Kaiser Family Foundation did a a poll um, and it showed that basically 47% of Americans, and this was about five months ago this was published, um, reported doing worse with their mental health secondary to the pandemic. And that was even worse for healthcare workers and frontline workers. And we know our veterinary colleagues are both. Um, so it is, it's tough out there right now. So Carrie, you know, I mean, obviously I graduated um, long before you, you know, 30 years ago now almost, and uh, it wasn't being talked about. Uh, I, I'm not saying it didn't occur because one of my classmates shortly after graduation, you know, died by suicide. But what is accelerating? What is amplifying it in your opinion over the past decade or so? Well, I I mean, I think one thing that we have to keep in mind is that this isn't actually a new problem, but it is a problem that that we can now talk about. And so suicide has been cloaked in a lot of shame and a lot of 
um, darkness for a long time, right? right. It's not something right. that was polite to talk about. So I, I truly feel like, you know, we, we always think about data as objectively as we can. And, and I always wonder, you know, how, how many deaths were brushed under the rug, were, were not spoken about publicly? So I think we need to be, be cautious when we talk about it as a new problem, because I don't think it's a new problem. I, I do think it is a problem that, um, you know, is, is now seen. And, and that means that, you know, it's kind of good news, bad news, right? We, we see it, we know about it, but also, you know, th there is some responsibility in how we talk about it. You know, Carrie, uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was on a, on a board, a committee looking at this and uh, at a national level. And two things really I took away from that particular meeting and series of meetings. Number one, they said part of the issue is the scale, right? The veterinary profession has grown, you know, not exponentially, but tremendously over the past 20 years. So the numbers are greater. So therefore, we're going to see more suicide and so forth. The second thing, of course, which I hate to talk about, but that was student debt. I mean, this was raised, you know, 10 or 12 years ago as a, an emerging problem. Where do you see those two things, you know, with the conversation like scale and, of course, student debt? Well, I, I think scale is always important to keep in mind. But when we're talking about a risk, we are talking about relative risk. We're talking about numbers of people out of 100,000. We're talking about, you know, rates of death. So I, I do think that while scale always has something to do with it, I don't think it's actually as germane here as we'd like to think. I do think the changing dynamics of our profession is really super important. Um, you brought up student debt. It's absolutely something that um, we, we, we need to address. The Merck Veterinary Wellbeing Study, great study, lots of data, and it, and it actually identified high student debt as one of the primary drivers of poor well-being in veterinarians. So I, I think that's super important to, to deal with. So I kind of want to go back, I guess, to something you said, Dr. Carey, about how we talk about it. And Dr. Ernie and I had a long conversation about this prior to um, even reaching out to you because I said, I really want to... I don't think we could responsibly have a podcast this week that talked about anything else when we've lost what I know to be at least six members of our community. Um, that being said, I have found personally, my entire social media has become depression and suicide in the veterinary industry. And I'm wondering, I, it almost feels a little triggery to me as someone who struggles with mental health herself has had three crises this past year. Um, I think to myself, like, I don't need to continue to see this word pop up and hear it over and over and over and over and over again. And um, I know we trigger warning things and we do this and we do that. Can you talk to that point a little? I don't want to use the word glamorizing because it certainly isn't that. But are we, is the rhetoric too much? I don't know how to, I don't know how to ask this in a classy way, but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question, a fair question. Yeah. No, no, I, I do know what you're saying. And it's something that I have certainly, you know, as I've spoken more and more on this topic, you know, tried to educate myself on. And so I think a couple of, of big points there. One, social media. Social media is a tool. Um, we can use it for good. I think our non support groups are a great example of that. Um, and it can also be harmful. Um, and so, you know, when we're struggling ourselves and a great many people in our profession are struggling, we need to be very mindful and cautious about what we're consuming, right? And so sometimes a social media break is exactly the right thing to take. And, you know, the, the truth is, no matter how much we try, we can't control when something goes viral. And certainly this topic has gone viral this week for the sad yeah, right. reason that you mentioned. Right, right. 
Um, so I think if someone's in a vulnerable place, you know, sometimes we need to kind of step away from that environment and that's okay. That's important self-care. Um, so, you know, that's, that's like, the, I think the first important point. And then how do we talk about this? Well, I think the most impactful conversations we have about this is really getting to, you know, kind of a public health level of, of reasons why, you know, of course the members that we lost are tragic. Of course we honor them. Of course we want to memorialize them. But we also want to focus on the, the bigger picture of why did this happen? Because, right, right. you know, our ultimate goal is to prevent it from happening again. Um, and, and we do that by really drilling down on why. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what my organization really tries to do. Yeah. And Carrie, that, that's that's the stumbling block that we often find because we don't know how to approach it. Right. Like like Becky's saying, we struggle always when we talk about uh, suicide on the on the podcast. How do we make it respectful, appropriate, helpful, meaningful without somehow making it worse, you know? And I, and I think, you know, that cloaking that you mentioned that probably happened, you know, in prior generations, that that's probably their response. Like, uh oh, this is so sensitive and so volatile that we're just going to avoid it altogether, which is not a good approach at all, as we can clearly see today. But again, let's say that let's say that you are seeing a post which I know you do, you see hundreds of them uh, almost on a daily basis. How do you sift through it, know what to respond, how to respond? How should, what advice would you give to the viewfinders? Like, you know, when they're seeing a post, do they jump in and say, I'm so sorry to hear about that? Or, or, or what do we do? So I, I, I think that conversations around the underlying reasons are appropriate, right? I try when I'm having those conversations to take a couple of deep breaths and try to take blame out of the situation. I think it's natural. Uh, I think yeah, it's natural right. when we look at a big problem like this to want it to be somebody else's fault. Um, we have shared responsibility as a culture and community in, in the well-being problems we have and the solutions that we're going to make. So, you know, I, I see a lot of posts of, well, it's the clients. Well, it's, it's the managers. Well, it's the... And, and the truth is people are people. And right. so when right. I try to think about reasons, I try to think about, you know, holistic reasons that, that don't place the blame on anyone, but also give everybody a little personal responsibility in the solution. Yeah. And, and systemic issues, right? I mean, we've already highlighted a little bit student debt load, but honestly, even with the student debt load, I don't know that that's the right issue to focus on. It's probably an expectations misalignment. You know, it's like, like if people want to take on tremendous amounts of debt, you know, $400,000 in debt, that's fine, but they need to understand that they may be working to pay off that debt for the rest of their career. Now, if you can find happiness and joy in that, that's fine as well. But if you then say, oh gosh, you know, I'm not this, there's not going to be pressure associated with that $400,000 in student debt. That's where we misalign the expectations. Is that making sense to you, Carrie? I mean, you know, it's like, it's not just the debt, it's actually the pressures that the debt creates in your life. Well, and I, and I think the debt is certainly a huge issue, right? And, and we can't really, you know, talk, uh, talk about that. You know, we can't talk about veterinary wellness without talking about student debt. Right. Um, but, but the reality is debt is not the entire picture. You know, this is not just an American veterinary problem. This is right. an international right. veterinary problem. And other countries do not have student debt crisis like we do. Right. So, you know, while debt is a big part of the American picture, it is not the whole picture. And in fact, several studies have shown um, it, a combination of the personality types that are drawn, drawn to helping professions, um, particularly things like being very driven, being a perfectionist. Um, nobody likes to be called neurotic, but hey, a lot of us are. <laughs> and, uh, and, and frankly, you know, those personality types make a wonderful caregiver, right? You want someone who's focused, who focuses on risk and problems and things like that. But you can see where that personality type can 
put in a stressful environment get into trouble. And multiple studies have shown that the primary driver of our well-being problems is not kind of dealing with the less than helpful aspects of that personality type. So while there are systemic issues, there absolutely are. Um, there are also things that we can, as individuals in the profession, address very directly. I, as a veterinarian, can't fix the student debt crisis. Lord, I wish I could. Lord, right. I wish right. I could, yeah. right? But I can work on my own perfectionism. I can work on the kind of tendency of my right. brain to focus on the negative. Those are things that are in my control. And I'm a very big believer on kind of controlling what you can control in life. And, and that's how, you know, I've approached my personal wellness. And that's one of the solutions that we can focus on. Like, so, so if you find us like right here is a great opportunity for an intervention. So let's say that you're a student out there, you're a young vet and you do have significant debt. Well, you need coping mechanisms to learn how to deal with that, that inherent pressure. Like that's, I think that's what most of us have been saying for a long time. It's just that the system right now doesn't give you any support. It doesn't nurture you at all. And so you're kind of left on your own. And sometimes people find very positive and productive ways of dealing with it. And other times they don't. So interestingly, to the point of student debt and personal responsibility, the Merck Veterinary Wellbeing Study actually showed that people who had a financial planner had significantly less psychological distress. Amen. So those, Amen. those people had f financial debt, right? But they were taking active steps in their own right. life to deal with it, and it reduced their, their mental health issues. So I, I think, you know, once right. again, the problems are big. They're big yeah. and they're absolutely real. But that just doubles our responsibility for taking action steps in our own lives. So I want to say, too, that we are talking about the student debt situation, but I would be remiss not to say, like, most technicians don't graduate with student debt. And and technicians need to be looked at with this as well. We lost one in this last week. And so, so much of this conversation is doing what so much of the conversation does and trying to figure out the why. And, and much to, to Dr. Carey's point, like, I think it is a lot more of personality issues. And when we take that thousand foot view and look at this from a bigger picture, we see all of the veterinary profession affected. And so I think when we do that, it really dilutes the student debt problem. But what I think it does highlight is finances drive a person's overall mental well-being. Because what we do know is that the rest of the industry may not have student debt, but they are suffering from an inability to make ends meet and working right. paycheck to paycheck and living under that constant stress. Good point. And, and Becky, thank you. I, I think we all recognize that sometimes veterinarians need to be, be slapped around a little bit by their technicians. So I appreciate that very much. Um, I tell you, they, they, they basically hit me upside the head all day long. Um, yeah, we same. do talk about veterinarians a lot. And I will say that there is a bias towards veterinarians in the published literature, and I'm a data nerd. So when I start talking about statistics, I don't have a lot to draw from for technicians. NAMVI, uh, not when we're vet, my organization, is working to change that. We have active research programs that include everyone in the profession, but you were exactly right. The data that we do have on technicians shows that the number one stress our technicians have is financial, you know, problems, you know, unhealthiness in our finances. And our industry as a whole is financially starved right now. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a systemic problem. And to your point, you know, it's not just that our, our technicians are also affected. The data that we do have um, shows that there are more affected. The highest suicide rate in the veterinary profession is male technicians. It's five times out of the general public. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's really, truly sad. And so NAMBI has, you know, in the last year or two, really 
changed our focus, broadened our focus. Once again, I had two great technicians, Liz Houston and Tasha Zimmerman, slap me upside the head and say, hey, what about us? And I was like, right. hey, guys, get, roll up your sleeves. Get in here. Let's do some work. And, and to their credit, they did. And so our support staff site is growing. And uh, I think, honestly, they run that site better than we run the main site sometimes. Yeah, as one of the moderators of that group, I wanted to make sure that our listeners do know that there is not one more vet, but there is also not one more vet support staff. There have been over, I want to say almost 800 requests to join this week, the last time I checked. So um, that's a solid shout out to the moderators and everyone who's been jumping in to try to help and sort through those folks um, to make sure they're getting in as soon as possible, but also that everyone that gets in is sorted through so it is a super safe place. And um, Miss Liz and Miss Tasha have both kept it a very safe place. And so if you are looking for a place where um, you can reach out, there is also anonymous posting on both pages. And so if you want to post anonymously for help, but not to be, um, you know, to disclose your clinic or who you are, those resources are available to everyone. Okay, so Carrie, let's spin the conversation now because you're right. I mean, I wish as much as we've tried, even on the podcast and certainly in our own personal endeavors to solve a lot of these big problems like student debt and all that and client issues, you know, yeah, that's beyond the scope of today's conversation. So let's, I want to ask you two important questions I'm sure you get asked all the time. Number one, how do we recognize the warning signs in a colleague or a friend or family member? And number two, what are some of the simple steps that we should take if we recognize them? I think they're both really great and important questions. So I'll preface them both by saying there is really great, very inexpensive training available that anyone can do on their couch in about 45 minutes. Um, The AVMA has sponsored uh, what's called QPR, Question Persuade Response Training. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can find that at the qprinstitute.com. And if you happen to be an AVMA member, our, our technical staff can't be, but if you're a veterinarian who's an AVMA member, that training is free, sponsored by the AVMA. Um... But, you know, to the broader point, um, I would say if you're concerned about someone, you need to check in. You know, the reality is, is that our profession has a high rate of suicidal ideation and thoughts. So we need to be a little hypervigilant here. We really, really do. And so if you are concerned, um, it's really important to ask, you know, ask how someone is doing and ask direct questions about suicide. I wanted to just weigh in there and just say that, like, reaching out is so important. We always have a tendency to say like, let me know if you need anything and like reach out if you ever need anything. And that's like the hardest thing to do in that terrible moments. Right. So taking the time to proactively say like, Hey, how you doing? Haven't talked to you in a minute is so important. And it, it means so much to the recipients, like be proactive about that. Okay, so Carrie, you guys, I think that's perfect. The first step is if you think there's a problem, you need to go ahead and directly confront them and don't be afraid to say, are you having suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm, right? Yeah, and it's, it's important when we're having that conversation, to, to Becky's point, to be very direct. You know, don't expect them to come to you. You know, the reality is the majority of people who are feeling suicidal will try to reach out, but it's such a topic laden with shame and, and uh, you know, a lot of, of concern on the, on the person's part who is feeling suicidal. Like, we can't depend on them to be clear. So if we have an inkling that it's happening, we need to reach out to them. We need to make that first step. Um, and we need to do it in a non-judgmental uh, and supportive way. You know, don't say something like, you aren't feeling suicidal, are you? Because that would be crazy. Like, that's, that's you know, like, and I'll be honest, guys, like the first time I intervened on a, on a colleague's suicidal ideations, I think I said that exactly that, right? 
um, because these topics make us nervous. You know, we, yeah. we're upset. Um, so we need to kind of take a deep breath. I always tell people kind of go to that, that space you, you use to deal with a really upset client, you know, take a deep breath, kind of control your own emotional activation in this moment and really engage with your colleague, your friend and, and see how they're doing. Okay, so Carrie, what happens if they say, yeah, Ernie, I'm thinking of killing myself tonight? I mean, that, that's the most terrifying part of this conversation. I don't, I, what do I do? So I, I think there are a lot of things you can do, but the most important thing you can do is listen. The climb to being suicidal is often a really slow one, right? It is a building of circumstances. Um, you know, it's not just one thing, it's a lot of things. And really, when someone becomes suicidal, their circumstances have exceeded their ability to cope. Right. There's usually a triggering event. There is. Um, big triggering events are, are a big part of it. You know, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, a big health diagnosis, something like that can kind of t tip us over the edge pretty quickly. But, you know, there are often other things in life that are affecting us. And by, you know, just letting them talk and being an active listener for them, a supportive, active listener, I have had more people talk themselves out of their crisis than anything else. I think the other really important thing to realize is that we need them to be active in their own recovery. I think we all want to kind of force our solutions on other people, right? Especially those of us who work in medicine. You're used to being on the other side of the exam room table, telling people what to do and having them follow, right? Exactly. And that's just not your role here. It's not. Um, I think of it as walking with them instead of telling them where to go. And so it's great to share your experience, right? We have found at Nambi that lived experience is super, super powerful. Tell them what solutions have worked for you, but don't pretend like your solutions are going to be right for everybody, right? Ask them. Ask them what's worked for them in the past. Suggest things, but, you know, if they turn down your suggestions, okay, let's figure out something else. Yeah, you know, Carrie, it's, it's interesting about this. Years ago, and this is, I'm sure the, the, the science has changed and the tactics are different, but uh, I was in one of these weekend retreats talking about, you know, self-harm and, and suicide and all that stuff. And, and one of the speakers was saying what to do in the situation that we just are talking about today. And she said, the worst thing you can do, and please guys forgive the, my showing of age here, but she said, the worst thing you do is leave them a business card with the phone number, right? And she meant like a suicide hotline. That's what she was referring to in this conversation. And I think, Carrie, you just sort of really highlighted the importance of listening, right? Not just saying, okay, you're thinking of killing yourself. Here's the number to call, right? That's not, that's not really going to, probably not going to give us the desired outcome that we want. So it's really sitting there listening to them, you know, and, and I think, okay, so let's say you've listened to them for a little while and, and maybe a long while, whatever it is, Carrie, how do you pass them off to someone who's more capable? I mean, maybe they need to seek professional help. How do you do that? I think they do. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's about offering resources and assistance, right? So we talk about mental health care. You know, the reality is only 52% of veterinary professionals in serious mental health crisis will actually go get mental health care. Um, and some of that is stigma and some of it's logistics. When you are in crisis, Lord, trying to sort through, yeah, find out who's yeah. taking new patients, like all of that stuff is, it, it's a, you know, if you can't even manage to take a shower in the morning, like yeah. something like that is just exceeds anyone's ability to do, right? And so right. as this person who wants to lend them support, go, go figure that out for them, you know? Hey, say, hey, can I just, can I get your healthcare information if you have it? And let me, let me reach out and try to find you an appointment. Would that be okay? And, and just offer that really concrete assistance, right? 
Um, and that is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And I love that. I love that. And again, this goes back to years and years ago. Don't just leave them a card. right? I mean, yeah. it's the same thing. It's like, hey, hey, guys, can I help you out? Let, I will. Let me make an appointment for you. Seriously, let, give me give me five minutes. And I'll go. Let me go see what I can do. Right. I mean, yeah. that's what they want. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as not when we're vet is always here to help. And we do get requests from people who are trying to support somebody else. And we have a whole team of people. The Nomvi Grants team is amazing in connecting people with resources. Like we are a resource as well. But as far as the person kind of helping this person on the ground, right? The, the, a person standing in front of them that has a long-term relationship is always going to be the most effective person um, to do this intervention. We are a resource for you though. So we are absolutely there to help you and connect you with larger resources. So I guess my next question that I think is important to cover kind of in the short time that we have is, um, and especially in light of this past week, what about, what are the subtle signs that aren't the big signs? What are the subtle signs that aren't help? I need help. Um, when do we really need to start raising our own red flags to check in on our friends? Because I think um, what I hear in a lot of these circumstances is, I had no idea. Like we had no, like super blindsided. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, certainly as we think about warning signs, we think about dramatic changes in behavior. We think about, you know, someone who is happy now being angry all the time. We think about someone really seeming to like force a smile. We see changes in the use of alcohol, drugs, changes in sleep patterns. Um, if somebody is in a planning stage, they often will do things like starting to put their life in order, cleaning out their house, making wills, talking about, hey, when I'm gone, I want so-and-so to get this. Those are pretty big red flags, right? Those are things yeah. that we really want to yeah. do to check yeah. in. Um, and then, you know, whenever somebody has a major life event happen, somebody gets a cancer diagnosis, somebody's lost their spouse, their boyfriend broke up, you know, those are, those are important times to check in because those big events can kind of really send somebody, you know, into a suicidal crisis pretty quickly. I mean, that's, that's the time when you need to be the shoulder to lean on because I, I, you know, Carrie, so many of these cases, they, they do baffle me because we sometimes see people that have these apparently great support networks, like they have a happy family life or they have a family, right? I mean, and, and yet, like Becky said, we're just blindsided. I mean, especially some of the cases that have recently, you know, hit up. I mean, it's like, wow. And I guess it just goes to show you, you just really don't know what's what's going on inside their heads. Well, I, I think what that underlies to me is becoming suicidal isn't a weakness. It's a sign that you've been strong for too long. And yeah. so... I, I look at these people who were amazing, positive forces in our profession, and I think that they gave too much to everyone else all the time, right? And so it's about paying attention. I, I think we all, in the day-to-day -day stress of a clinic, say things like, I can't do this anymore. Ugh, oh, God, just end it. You know, things like that are often hyperbolic. We're often just blowing off steam. But in a profession where we have between two and five times the rate of people dying by suicide, we, we need to be kind of hypervigilant there. And I will check on you. If you say that in my clinic, I'm going to take you aside for a minute and be like, hey, you said something. I just need to check in. Like, are you okay? Like, are you thinking about suicide? And often people are like, oh God, no, I was just, you know, blowing off steam. But, you know, I consider it my personal responsibility to make sure and check, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss anything. Right. It could be the most subtle of, and then the fact that no one checks in is that iteration of no one actually really cares. Like I, I tried to tell, like it, it is so important to, um, 
to just be in the moment with the people around you for that check-in and, and to look for those little things. And I think those are such important things to keep in mind um, and to support our teams. And then I, I guess one more thing I would love to love is the wrong, wrongest word ever in this entire conversation, but to talk about is just how do we be resilient here? Like what are the resources? How do we help the people who are affected now? Because there's a lot out there who are very directly affected. What are the resources or steps they can take um, in this crisis, in this situation? Because I think now there's a lot of feeling of helplessness. Yeah. So I would say that I love, I love people that are in medicine, right? They're my people and we're all caregivers, right? And so I think when we see a crisis, our first impulse is to lean in and help no matter the cost to ourselves. And that's not actually a very healthy impulse. So uh, we talk about this in the NAMBI volunteers a lot. The very first thing you need to do is put on your own oxygen mask first. Um, if you are burned out, if you are not well, you know, you cannot pour from an empty cup, my friends. Like right, we need right. to see to our own wellness first. Um, we need to check on our friends, we need to pay attention, but you know, that doesn't come at the expense of ourselves. Um, and nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna take care of you um, if you're not prioritizing that yourself. So, you know, there's a lot of really boring stuff that each one of us has to do every week to make sure that we're on a good, balanced, healthy plane. Um, and we have to put time in our schedules to do it and we have to make a commitment to doing it. So that's the very first thing I would say that you need to do. And then once you're there, I would recommend you get trained, right? There is a lot of different, there's eCPR, there's QPR. There are a lot of different training programs. Banfield has put out a great one as well that's veterinary specific. You know, these, these programs are out there and a little bit of training makes everybody just a little bit more confident when, when these hard situations come up. And Carrie, sort of the last thing, um, and this is tough too, like Becky's saying, there's a lot of people that are affected. Um, you know, I, I know I've written about it and we've talked about it on the podcast, you know, my wife and I were with Sophia Yen shortly before her, her passing by suicide. And, you know, in retrospect, Laura said, oh, my gosh, I should have recognized. Right. There were so many things that later in hindsight, we go, oh, that was a, a warning sign. Oh, she was crying out for help. And, and Laura carried a lot of guilt for, for quite some time after that because she you know, we didn't intervene, right? I mean, we, <laughs> honestly, I was completely oblivious. I thought Sophia was just being Sophia. We had a great long dinner and just wonderful conversations, but you know, obviously things were not, not okay. Uh, how do you deal with that? Like, you know, because Laura, that she carried that guilt. So what about the people that are in these circumstances that say, even if they just are Facebook friends with them, you know, what about when they say, I should have, I could have, I didn't. I think, you know, Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? That mm. phrase is a, a phrase for a reason. And as somebody who was actively working uh, in suicide prevention, I lost a family member to suicide. And let me tell you, like I sitting there reviewing the events, I I miss things. Now I mm. I have my excuses for it, but you know, at the end of the day, I had to sit with the feeling of you know, I have more training and more experience than your average average person, and I I missed it still. So as much as we have personal responsibility to check in. You know, at the end of the day, we can only control what we can control. And so I, I, I took that moment of really hard personal feedback to myself as, as motivation to do better in the future, right? And to, to, you know, take on a little bit more training, to really make a commitment, to pay more attention. And, you know, that is how I personally dealt with those feelings because they are complicated. And I will say, um, going through training, it directly after the loss of someone close to you is not necessarily a great idea because it can be very triggering in that way. Um, but as soon as you feel ready, 
as soon as your grieving process has come to a place where you would like to be productive with those feelings, I think it can be a very powerful way to say like, look, I cannot change the past, but I can, I can do better in the future. And, and that's really what I want for our profession. And viewfinders, that's what we want for our profession as well, is to do better in the future. Obviously, we've all been affected to some degree by the tragic events of the of the past uh, week or two. And viewfinders, we're just so grateful to have people like Dr. Carrie Journey and Not One More Vet and Not One More Veterinary Support Personnel, those types of organizations out there to lean on. So in the show notes, if you're interested, we'll have all the links that we've talked about today. So if you'd like to reach out or join or help or do whatever, uh, definitely just follow up on the show notes and on the website. Uh, again, Dr. Carrie Journey, thank you so, so much, not only for spending time with us today, but for making such a positive change in our profession on such a very, very tough topic. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And if you are having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, you can call 1-800-273-TALK, which is 1-800-273-8255. You can also text, which I think is amazing. You can text the word TALK to 741-741. Thanks again, Viewfinders, for listening to this topic. Uh, We wish you well, and if you need any help, please reach out to one of the many amazing organizations that we will include in our notes today. Until next week, bye. Bye. Bye now.